Please listen carefully. Psych Essentials is a show about learning psychiatry. It's fun and educational, but should not be taken as medical advice or opinion. So kick back and try not to worry about those glaring ego deficits. We like you anyway. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, James. Ready for another round of psychopharmacology? Always. So this time we're talking about antipsychotics. It's episode two. And so you could say this is the antipsychotic essentials extended cuts. Okay. Is it okay to use this joke for a third time in three consecutive episodes? Oh, absolutely. We will milk it. Um, that will become funny later when we talk about hyperprolactinemia. Let's move on. So last time we talked about a few things. We talked about, in general, what these antipsychotic... What, the, what is this class of antipsychotic meds? What they're used for? Generally, how they work? Some common side effects? And then we broke it down into two big categories, where right? We talked about typicals. Uh, the oldies, but some goodies. And then we said this time we talk about the atypicals or the second generation. Let's get into it. So I want to run through a few off the top. There are four atypical antipsychotics that I want you to know. And then there's a few others that we'll, we'll toss in some fun facts about. So the four are olanzapine, which is Zyprexa, Risperidone, which is Risperdal, Ketiapine, Seroquel, and clozapine, which is clozaril. Um, there's three others that we'll mention that you may hear about. Again, if this is going to totally overwhelm you, feel free to shut it down. Aripropozole is Abilify, Ziprazidone is Geodon, and Lurazidone is Latuda. So I said we, uh, there's four that you need to know. Right. That's a lot of different antipsychotic meds. Yeah. So, so how might you even decide when you're going into this, like... Like, which one to even pick from? Right. And it really, it boils down to patient, the patient's specific symptoms, the past medications that they've tried and found helpful or not helpful, tolerable and not tolerable. So depends on what other comorbid conditions they might have as well. Mm -hmm. So I kind of think of this, this is, this is like a little bit of a math nerd. I tend to think of this as like a multivariable regression, multivariate regression, right? Nerd. Thank you. If you, you have multiple factors and you're trying to find the optimal balance, the best curve that's going to fit all of these points. So personally, I rank a few of these things. Number one in my mind is what symptoms is the person currently having at this moment in time? That in my mind is going to guide you towards one of these medicines versus another. And as we talk about them, we'll talk about what symptoms in particular they you might, might choose. Number two is what medicine has this person been on in the past? Now, at times, that, that kind of rivals number one, because if they've tried something for a really long time and they've done really well on it, uh, you would probably resort back to that one. So I think that's a pretty important one. What has worked well for them in the past or not worked well for them in the past? Um, and then there's a few other things, like you're saying, comorbidities, other medical conditions that are going on. Sometimes you think about availability, right? So some of these come in longer acting forms, some of them don't. So I'd say all else being equal, you might think about that. Family history, right? If someone, again, kind of like the antidepressants, if somebody has a family member, they've done really well, it's a first generation relative, you could think of it. I'm saying it's number five in my, my multivariate regression here. So I said there's four medicines. And the first one that I want to talk about is olanzapine. 
Well, what symptoms might somebody be having that would lead you to choose olanzapine? So olanzapine is a great antipsychotic and it's also really sedating. And so I tend to use it for people with really severe psychosis, plus minus mania, plus minus general agitation. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's really worked up, either physically agitated or like psychologically unwell, they're really psychotic, that this could be a good choice. And it might help somebody with sleep, especially if they've not been sleeping. Yeah, and especially with manic patients, it's helpful to dose it in the evening time and it can help them to get some sleep Mm -hmm. yeah this could be dosed once or twice a day or more frequently especially if somebody is if remains agitated um because it's such a heavy sedating antipsychotic it can leave folks feeling groggy Mm -hmm. Um, common complaint mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or or kind of like there's there's like a little foggy little gray one thing to think about with olanzapine is it's notable for its metabolic side effects. So this is a medicine that, especially taken in the long term, could contribute to high cholesterol, hyperlipidemia, weight gain. And I've seen patients gain like 30 pounds in a month while in the hospital on olanzapine. It can be pretty profound. Mm-hmm. Olanzapine comes in a few different formats. It comes in a PO or by mouth version. It also comes uh, IM. You can give it as a shot. And it comes in a by mouth but dissolvable form called Zytus. And that can be helpful if you're ever worried about patient noncompliance in the hospital setting. Mm-hmm. Why, why not patient noncompliance outside the hospital? It's very expensive. Oh, yeah. Well, and if you're going to be non-compliant outside the hospital, you just wouldn't take it. Exactly. You wouldn't, you right. Wouldn't, that you too. Yeah. Um, common doses of olanzapine uh, would be like in the 5 to 10 milligram range up to, say, 30 milligrams a day. All right. That's number one. Number two, risperidone. Risperidone is one of your highest potency atypical antipsychotics. It binds most highly to dopamine. You can know that because it has some of the lowest dose amounts, but also has some of the higher risks of the extra pyramidal symptoms. For review, check out last episode. Yeah, the nice thing about risperidone is that compared to olanzapine, it's a little bit less sedating, but then you also have the risk of the EPS that's higher like we just mentioned. Another interesting risk for risperidone is that when patients are on it for a while, it can cause hyperprolactinemia, which in men and women can cause galacteria, and it can also cause irregular um, periods in women. Something to keep um, uh, on, on your radar as you ask people about how they're doing. Risperidone comes in an oral form. It also comes in an M-tab form, which I like to call multi-tab. Risperidone, common doses of risperidone are like one, two milligrams up to, say, six milligrams or so. Um, a lot of these, again, used to be higher, used in higher amounts. So I'm just I'm citing common amounts that we tend to prescribe. You, you'll see different amounts used this at your discretion. All right, number three... Cotiapine. Cotiapine is relatively a lower potency agent, um, and it helps with a few different symptoms at a few different doses. Why is that? 
Well, so it actually tends to work on different receptors at the various doses. So at your lowest doses, it tends to have more of a antihistaminergic properties to it. So at low doses, like 25 to 150, it helps with sleep and agitation because it has potent histamine blocking properties to it. Then at medium doses, like 200 to 400 milligrams, it really helps with mood stability and can act as a mood stabilizer. And then at higher doses, like 500 milligrams plus, it has more of an antipsychotic effect because it acts on dopamine receptors. I will say I have less often seen really high doses of gatiapine for antipsychotic effect. I tend to think if I was going for a primary antipsychotic at that level, I might have chosen one of the prior two medications we talked about. I totally agree. I was going to say I would use risperidone or olanzapine over quetiapine if I really wanted a, a good antipsychotic. One thing that quetiapine is often used for is at some of these lower doses, it can help with things like sleep, like you were saying. It's often also used in the hospital and outside the hospital uh, for delirium. All right, so we're, on num- we're up to number four, and that is clozapine. So clozapine is perhaps our, our most effective treatment for psychosis, and it is particularly used for treatment-resistant psychosis. Now, why, if it, Lindsay, if it's so helpful, why is it reserved for only cases that are resistant to other treatments? Because it has really awful side effects. Which are? Which include agranulocytosis, mm-hmm. seizures, and also myocarditis. Mm-hmm. All of those are bad. So the agranulocytosis is something that is commonly testable, um, but is also a real-world phenomenon. What would you do to check that? Well, in order to be started on clozapine at all, you have to have weekly CBC with absolute neutrophil count testing. What is a, what, what is a low A1, ANC? So neutropenia is defined by having an ANC less than 1,500, and agranulocytosis is when your ANC is less than 500. Clozapine also has quite a few metabolic side effects. We're talking again about the weight gain, the hyperlipidemia. It also is kind of, it's pretty anticholinergic. People describe constipation with clozapine. Oddly, you also get hypersalivation, and that sometimes requires atropine drops. It's unclear why that works. I would say that clozapine acts in kind of this mysterious way, and it's probably just buckshotting across your receptors. But it does work. It's quite effective. It does work, but it has a lot of side effects. One side effect it does not have is tardive dyskinesia, and it's actually been shown to improve tardive dyskinesia relative to some of these other agents. So in that sense, it's a real mixed bag. And I think the common consensus is that clozapine is not a first-line medication, and typically it is reserved for after two others, for instance, two of the other ones we've talked about, have not been successful. Commonly, you'll see people have tried not just two, but five or a dozen, um, all of them, and then people resort to clozapine. The other thing I would know in terms of thinking of who it might be appropriate for, like we were talking about earlier, is people who can, for instance, maintain weekly blood draws. You have to be able to see in clinic pretty often. Yeah, so it might be someone who has really good social support, perhaps, who can take them to the clinic on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. So those are the four that I think are the keys. That was olanzapine, helped with sedation, risperidone, uh, it's a little less sedating, hyperprolactinemia, catiapine, helps with sleep, helps with delirium, 
and clozapine, which is the most effective, but also with some notable side effects. There are three others that I did want to just toss in a quick shout out for. Aeropiprazole. Lindsay, why might somebody choose aeropiprazole? One nice thing about aeropiprazole is that it is more weight neutral than a lot of the other uh, second generation or atypical antipsychotics. And so for that reason, once you've stabilized someone on something like olanzapine or risperidone, you could consider transitioning to aeropiprazole if you're worried about the metabolic side effects. Another unique thing about aeropiprazole is that it has a unique mechanism as compared to the other um, second generation antipsychotics in that it is a partial dopamine agonist. And even though it's an agonist, it essentially acts as a dopamine blocker. Crazy. Crazy. Ziprazidone um, is also one of the more weight neutral atypical antipsychotics. I would say one thing is that it has a tendency to prolong the QTC. Um, worth getting an EKG. Lorazidone is one of the newer atypical antipsychotics, and it is also indicated for bipolar depression. All right, so we have talked about these particular medications. I want to change gear a little bit and talk about how some of them are administered, and I wanted to talk about long-acting injectable forms of some of these medicines. There are high rates of non-adherence with oral medications. With many of these, folks will take them and then decide to stop taking them. So the idea of having to receive it only once a month is both sometimes compelling for people because you don't have to remember it every day, and it's also appealing to healthcare providers because you can be more confident that somebody has received this medication. It's also easier to tell when somebody's missed a dose because you usually have to go into clinic. We always have to go into clinic to receive a shot. So there are basically four long-acting injectable medications. They're all the same ones that we've already talked about. So in the first in the first generation, there Haldol comes in a long-acting form called Haloperidol Decanoate. People call it Haldol Dec. And Flufenazine, which we also talked about last episode, comes in a Decanoate formulation. So those are two. Those are first generation. Second generation, you've got Risperidone and Aripiprazole. We've just talked about both of those. Now, Risperidone comes in a few different forms, so I'd call those subcategories. It may or may not be worth knowing the nuance of that. It also does technically come in a three-month formulation that has recently been released. So, So that's two first gen, two second generation. I will say as a quick note that olanzapine also exists in long-acting form, but requires very careful administration, and it must be done in a very specific clinic setting. And so it's really rarely done, and I would say to the point when I did include it in this list. Yeah, and the reason that is is because people can develop this post-injection delirium syndrome that can be fatal. So very few places offer it. Yep. So those are the long-acting forms. Again, there you could think about when you're choosing, and you may see them used, especially in folks who have had psychosis for a long time. All right, let's get into some cases. Lindsay, perhaps you could you could act out some of these, Ooh. and uh, and then we'll think about which which of these atypical or typical antipsychotics would be appropriate. Do I seriously have to act? We're sticking away from the accent debacle that plagued our last episode, so we're just, we're playing it we're playing it cool here. All right, so case one: I'm a 19 year old man who was brought in by ambulance to the emergency department. I'm really really agitated right now, screaming that the CIA is invading the hospital. 
and the room is bugged, you're listening to me right now, I'm punching the wall and I haven't slept in four days, what are you going to give me? Olanzapine. It's a great choice in this situation where somebody is agitated, they, they need to be calmed down so that you can talk to them and help them, and also the idea that this person hasn't slept in a long time at Lanspeen would be a good choice to help. It's a great with. one in emergency so, settings for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, number two. I'm a 56-year-old woman with chronic schizophrenia who lives with my brother. I've been stable for years on haloperidol. But I went on vacation and I decided to stop taking my medications. So now my hallucinations are a lot worse. What would you give me? In this situation, I would restart haloperidol. I think this is a good example of somebody who has been stable on a medication for a long time. And it makes sense to use that history to your advantage. All right, number three. So I'm a 73-year-old man who just had my hernia repaired, and I seem to be awake, then falling asleep, then awake. I don't really know what day it is. Whenever I wake up, I pull at my IV line. My wife is at the bedside, and she feels like I'm confused and has never seen me like this before. What should you give me? So this sounds like a person who's delirious, and in a person with delirium, appropriate considerations would be cotiapine, Haldol would be the first two that I would think of. Sometimes medication may or may not be necessary. That would be a discussion to have with your team. All right, case number four. So I'm a 26-year-old woman. This is my second hospitalization for psychosis in the past year, and I have a lot of negative symptoms. There's a high suspicion that my schizophrenia is due to a strong family history of the disease. I've stabilized in the hospital on Risperidone, and I'm getting ready to leave. But due to my really busy life, I forget to take medications at home, and then my symptoms get worse, and then I come back to the hospital. I'm agreeable to coming into the clinic for regular appointments. What would you start me on? This would be a person who'd be well-served on a long-acting injectable, and because you've done well on Risperidone and it comes in that formulation, I would say go with long-acting Risperidone now, and then we can check in in a month. Sounds great. Cool. So if you did well on those, congratulations. If not, remedial podcasts. Just kidding. And no, clearly there are a lot of different ways that you can go about these cases. These are just, you know few examples that we had but oftentimes you can make reasonable arguments for most of the antipsychotics absolutely and like we said last time it's this is a great topic to talk about with other people on your team if somebody's picking something and you're not sure why ask them there may be things that are on their mind that's leading them to pick one versus another All right, so this is the second of our two episodes about antipsychotic medicines. There's a ton of things to talk about, and and I hope that we scratched the surface in a way that was helpful. Next time, we're going to keep talking about psychopharmacology, so we hope you'll stay tuned for the next episode. In the meanwhile, check out our website. Leave us a review. Let us know what you'd like to hear more about in the future. Our website is psychessentials.org. Yeah, psychessentials.org. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at psychessentials. Check us out on iTunes. You can rate, comment, share Psych Essentials with all of your friends and loved ones. 
Our music is by Javier Suarez off his album Tumbling Dishes. So there's a link on our website. We didn't talk about people, places, or details, but if we had, we would have changed them to protect confidentiality. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Till next time. Bye.